0: I won't I won't go into a whole lot of detail. <laughs> I don't want them coming She's after me. Name, right? Yeah, exactly. Mexican Americans, they're aware of this division between Southern Mexicans and Northern Mexicans. It started in the prison. In the '40s, between the guy from the north and guy from the south.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Humans Are Interesting. My name is Namis, and I'm here as always with my brother, Scientific. What up? What up? Uh, so today's episode is called Questioning Corrections. Uh, so our guest today worked for 25 years as a corrections officer, um, and so we brought him in, and we're gonna have him share a little bit about his story, um, how he got into it, some of his experiences um, inside of that and just kind of give us an inside look into what that world, uh, really looks like. So, cause I know, I don't, I don't know, and, and your average American doesn't. So, um, if you can just kind of say your name, um, your specific job title,
0: um, yeah. My name is, uh, Kevin Blair. I was a correctional officer with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation for 25 years.
1: So, um, when I talked to you on the phone and asked you to be, to be a guest, you, um, There was a phrase you used in terms of how you described uh, your job. Can you share that with the audience?
0: Uh, It was once described in one of our magazines as long, boring moments, occasionally interrupted by sheer terror. Yeah. um, We're going to circle
1: back to that sheer terror thing in a second.
0: Sheer terror. Um, I was going to say, two
2: million. People actually 2.2 million uh, people in the nation's prisons and jails over the last 40 years. 500 percent increase of the prison population in America. So that puts America at number one as far as incarcerated citizens. The closest one behind that is uh, Rwanda, Russia, and Brazil. So we have the highest prison population in the world, in jail the most people in the world. So two million, which is a- mm astonishing
1: can you give us a little insight into what your um, what your job required you to do like basically um, just there primarily
0: to protect people from the
1: inmates or the inmates from each other or what
0: a combination of both of those things interesting that you should mention that because that is exactly what our job is is to maintain order to get the inmates to follow the rules to give uh, written instruction and and written discipline to those who break the rules and in the the more demonstrative cases to break that fight up or to wait until reinforcements get there to break that fight up sometimes that's accomplished through verbal commands to get them to stop sometimes it's accomplished through striking an inmate with a baton if that's necessary and sometimes pepper spray is necessary so it varies it varies it could be one-on-one or it could be 10 on one or 20 on 20. it could happen in a dorm it could happen out on the yard it could happen in the chow hall so your job as a correction officer is to respond to a scene, assess what's going on, and in a safe manner, try to regain control of that area.
1: So i got a couple questions about sure. that. Uh, for one, uh, let me ask you this first. So, I mean, you 25 years, right? Yes. Obviously, you got to be seeing a lot of the same faces over and over for many years at times. Like, Correct. Um, are there inmates that you at any point ever would have, like, thought of as like a friend because of so much interaction or is there there always kind of that that wall in between or that separation that you intentionally keep Um, based on your position or
0: that's a very good question I'm glad you're bringing it up as a correction officer you're taught from day one at the academy We actually have classes that you get annually it's on inmate staff relations and that is the proper type of relationship you should have with an inmate and an inmate with a staff person. So you're told ahead of time to keep your personal life personal and you should never be engaging in personal conversation about yourself with an inmate, no matter how friendly the person is or no matter how friendly you are. Mm-hmm. And that's for security reasons, your own security, as well as the security of the of the prison. You're taught, even though many people blowing it in that area, you're taught to keep it professional.
1: So I know um, we talked about this once before. Um, um, I was talking to science actually before about this, where any job that deals with uh, a consistent demographic of people that you do for long enough, I feel it's very difficult to not have that um, kind of change your view and perception of people. And, and you know what I mean, like how do you kind of make that balance and, and, and continue to humanize people when I'm sure you've probably seen a lot of negative consistencies over the years?
0: that that's also a very good question um working in any any prison environment it doesn't matter what state you're in what county jail or whatever there's dynamics that go on among inmates that don't go on anywhere else because they're incarcerated in a limited area their movement is limited their space is limited and uh working in that environment there's also tensions that build up among staff because you know where you're working, you know what could could potentially happen at any moment. So in a sense, we're trained to respond to what might happen on mm-hmm. any given day. Gotcha. There are a number of things that we have to do mentally. Keep your personal life personal. Don't open up and share personal things with an inmate. Some people cross that line. I those, bet. I those mean, people.
1: I'm sure, like if you again seeing the same people every day, it's got to be hard not to. Right? Those
0: yeah, those people are. You're more susceptible to be, uh, being taken advantage of by an inmate because they can take your kindness as weakness and they'll exploit that. Not that you have to try to come off like you're some kind of macho Teflon person who can't be hurt, but you have to. You have to be wise because you could wind up losing your job becoming. Overly familiar with that inmate. There's various things that have been done, documented, that have happened along those lines. You've seen that kind of stuff, or just I've heard seen about it. it?
1: Oh wow, with I've coworkers seen it. Hmm? with coworkers, coworkers with coworkers.
0: Wow, getting romantically involved, romantically having sex involved? with an inmate. No, really, and losing a job as a result. You know, you worked with
1: people who got romantically involved with inmates.
0: Yes, and got caught, and oh. some of them came wow. across as tough what we call. Tough officers who are hard on inmates. So and so, she doesn't. She doesn't take stuff from inmates. She's hard on them. And she passes them down every day. She gives them grief every day. And that same person wound up getting involved romantically with an inmate and wound up getting fired as a result. Yeah, but,
1: I, I would guess that would do it. Wow! <laughs> that, I, mean, I guess you
0: see the same people.
1: Wow! I
0: That's that's crazy. Yeah.
2: No, I, I did want to talk about. Um, Rebidity, some people coming back into jail.
0: Recidivism. Yeah, yeah go recidivism. for it. I mm-hmm.
2: say that word wrong. Um, and the reason I want to touch on that because sixty-seven uh, percent of people who are in prison, yes, um, within three years, will be back in that prison. Mm-hmm. Um, can you see somebody like you know a prisoner? Can you say just by how that prisoner acts, by what he says, um, just his demeanor, that you know what this is going to be somebody who's going to be back in here, as opposed to somebody who you like? I don't
0: think they'll be back. Is there something that? that are characteristics that you've noticed in those years? That's a good question. I wish I could point out the characteristics of those who I think are definitely not coming back, but I really can't. There are some who who come to the prison for the first time, and that's the last time you'll ever see them in a prison. I, my personal view is that one of the reasons the recidivism rate is so high in this country, in particular, because we have so much outside of the prison walls as far as freedoms and movement and choices and all that, But the recidivism rate in this country shot up drastically in the late 70s into the 80s because of a specific law that was put in place regarding the use of cocaine and crack. Mm -hmm. Mm Right. And a lot of people are not aware of this, but this is a fact. You can look it up as far as congressional decisions and votes that were put forward to Congress. This is unfortunate, but it happened and you don't hear much about it, but it did happen. It's a fact. The uh, Congressional Black Caucus was the primary pusher of that bill that went through to raise the prison, the uh, sentencing rate on those who were caught with crack cocaine versus versus regular right, powder right, cocaine. Right, And the reason was the emphasis at the time was because crack cocaine was just rampant in the inner cities they went after that to raise the rate of incarceration to make longer prison sentences for crack because it was causing such destruction in the black community for crack cocaine specifically it was the cheapest drug out there cocaine cost more than crack but cocaine was being used and dealt high high class high class right high income levels and a lot of those a lot of those drug deals went on behind uh walls in high hedges with in Beverly Hills on. Yeah. because yeah. of the cost of the drug. The right. cocaine was higher. So we, whereas crack yeah. dealing was dealt with, that dealing was going on on the street corner. So that's easy access and also easy incarceration. Just grab, just go around any corner and you could nail somebody dealing drugs, whereas you couldn't get behind a wall or hedges right. of a mansion in Beverly Hills. And I want to stay on this topic
2: because that, yeah. as, you, as you said, that shot the prison population up.
0: Yeah, um, very much
2: so. In the, in the 80s and... Uh, late seventies and early nineties, um, but if you talk about we talk we talk about kind of drug abuse in in the states. I was talking to a friend she's from Portugal,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a smaller country, obviously the United States. But in Portugal, what they did was recently they in the last 10, 15 years they look at drug was like drug use has a medical problem. Um, so locking people up obviously doesn't get people off of drugs a lot of times. True, sure. it is that. So instead of approaching it, it has. A criminal problem, um, they're sent to a rehab facility. Are you, you know, it's mandatory, but you go to a rehab facility. You don't spend time in jail unless you're selling it. Uh, do you think that the U.S. can ever benefit from how changing drug policy to where
0: addicts aren't locked up but treatment instead? But that's, that's a very good question. Um, I would say it's possible, mm-hmm. but at, at the same time, you would basically have. A, dr- a drug rehab center in every community, uh, except for those who can afford to keep them away. You know the the rehab centers. Mm-hmm. You know you're not going to have a drug rehab center in Beverly Hills or right. Palm Beach Hills in L.A. or right. Irvine, California, <laughs> or La Jolla. <laughs> right. You're not going to have a drug rehab center there because money talks. Talks right.
2: I was surprised by how much drug use actually happens in prison. Oh, look, like all kinds of drug use. Uh I'm sure that gets in there. Maybe not always, but by correction, sometimes. What's the deal with that? How do so much drugs get into prison?
1: This is this is the deal.
0: Get candid. Get candid. This is the deal. I'll get get real with you. You're real with me. There are various various ways, and I'll I'll go over some of them. These are real ways that kids don't do this at home. Some of it has to do with where the prison is located. Some of it has to do with custody staff. That's someone wearing a badge. Custody staff bringing in free staff bringing in free staff is a person who works at a prison who's not a correctional staff person they're not they don't work in custody they don't have pepper spray mm-hmm. they haven't gone through the academy those are different ways that those drugs can come in because when you come into the prison there's usually only two entrances into a prison and at each entry you're required to show your id and basically open up your purse they don't personally go through all of your pockets of your purse or they don't pat you down as a staff person coming in or going out. But there are various ways to get them in. I'll give you an example. The prison was there before the community grew up around it. The prison, it was a fam- former naval hospital during World War II, was built then. And so the prison was there first. The community grew up around it. And as a result, right on the roads adjacent to the prison, you'll have someone drive by there two o'clock in the morning, stop their car and get out and the throw fans a fans tennis way. ball. Throw a tennis ball over a fence between certain dorms. Inside of that tennis ball, it could be uh, drugs of various types inside of a balloon. Like if it's heroin, black tar heroin, cocaine, or something like that, they'll put several of those inside of the tennis ball. Throw it over the fence between such and such a dorm. That inmate will be looking for that tennis ball because he knows what's inside of it because he had pre-planned to have someone on the street, a friend or a relative, to throw that ball over the fence. With uh, Lookouts looking, he will put that drug out, spread it out, cut it up for distribution, and sell it inside the prison to other inmates. Crazy. Wow. So there's there's various ways to get in or visiting. Right. This, this is somewhat graphic. I'll try to keep it clean as nah. I can. <laughs> nah,
2: go ahead, man. Um, you keep, it as you, keep it real Keep it real as you want. An has a
0: visit from a girlfriend or a wife. During that first kiss, that girlfriend or wife has put a balloon in her mouth that's Got heroin in it. She's got it under her tongue. She comes through visiting. It's undetected. She goes into visiting. Her boyfriend comes out from the back, from the strip out room. He comes out into the visiting area. They greet each other with a kiss. While they're kissing, she passes that balloon with heroin in it into his mouth. He can do one of two things. He can swallow it and crap it out later in the toilet, in the in the dorm, wash it off, cut it up and distribute it. Or he can take that same balloon with heroin in it or cocaine go to the inmate restroom on the visit there use a pair of latex gloves which he can get access to and keister it and keister stash is where an inmate takes an object whether it's drugs in a balloon or a weapon inserts it up his own rectum so that when he gets stripped out at the end of that visit Before you go back into the prison population to make sure you're not carrying contraband of any type while you're stripped out.
1: They do this with weapons, too?
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, (laughs) They keep they keep to stash it with a string on it so that when they get back to the dorm, they can pull that string out and pull pull that balloon out of their own anus, wash it off, cut it open, just cut up the drugs for distribution to make money in the prison. So inmates will do that with a girlfriend or a wife to talk that wife or girlfriend to bring that in. But this is this is a bad catch. If that wife, if somehow, somehow word gets to the investigative unit that such and such an inmate is bringing a drug in, having a girlfriend bring it in. They have a team set up there in visiting. And if that wife gets caught with a drug on her, obviously she gets arrested. She gets taken to county jail and gets booked for introducing drugs into a prison setting. I've seen that happen with a the woman there with her baby. Child Protective Services has to come out to the prison and take the child oh, wow. while the mother goes to jail and handcuff while the greedy boyfriend or husband is inside upset that she didn't get the drugs in. And he's the one that initiated the whole transaction and he's ticked off. And especially if it's a case where he owes money to someone inside. So wife goes to jail. Dad's in prison. And now he's got he could possibly. uh be harmed by the other inmates for not getting that drug in. So
1: speaking of that, now this is a perfect time to circle back to the moments of sheer terror that, that you discussed earlier.
0: Um, Give us an example of what a moment of sheer terror might look like. Moments of sheer terror. That statement, you come to work, everything's cool. Inmates are going to chow up and down the hallway gate unlocked and some inmates are going to the yard to work out some are going to their education classes some are going to vocational classes some are just going out on the yard to hang out lay down take a nap play baseball play basketball play soccer whatever nothing's going on suddenly alarm goes off as an officer it's your responsibility to respond to the alarm you have designated areas just like a cornerback on the field you have designated areas that you respond to you run to that scene of the, of the alarm. You assess what's going on as best you can visually. You radio control to let them know what you've run upon. Inmates fighting on the soccer court, main yard, need a code one response. That announcement goes out throughout the whole institution. You run to that scene, inmates are walking away. What they're walking away from is an inmate laying there, his throat's cut. You've got to call for medical, and you can run upon that at any time. It might be just two inmates fighting, fist fight. That's not a big deal. You try to break that up. Uh, most days are boring. Inmates are not rioting every day. Inmates are not fighting every day. Occasionally, they will fight. Occasionally, they will attack staff. So you've got to be ready to respond no matter what's going on, whether it's a one-on-one, a 20-on-20, or a whole dorm of 100 inmates going off, or a whole yard of 800 inmates going off.
1: So do you ever have, like, if you you said, let's say there's a riot going on, 100-plus mm-hmm. 100, 100 people involved. Yes. Are you... Are you wearing riot gear and stuff going into that? Or? You
0: don't have on riot gear. The um, the Special Emergency Response Team does. It's called the CERT team.
1: You go into a riot without
0: riot gear? No, you're, you're there. The riot happens around you. you <laughs> might, it might be during <laughs> chow. The inmates are sitting down eating oh, chow. No. All of a sudden, a fight breaks off in the chow hall. It is a riot. It happens just like that. You weren't planning on it. it things didn't seem unnormal. Right. All of a sudden, inmates just started fighting. But They planned it. You've got a riot. You got to call that in. You got to call for response. You got to tell where you are, and you got to stay a safe distance. Don't run in trying to be Superman. You know, you're not you, the Hulk. You don't run yeah, in there and when, try to bust it up yourself.
1: When that happens, and you guys are in the mix of all that, do you feel? How do I put this? Okay, like put it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in high school, we had one day where there was basically like a big riot. Right. Yes. There was, it started with one fight happened. Um, it was stopped, and then another fight happened, it was stopped, and then a third fight happened, and then it just yes. it just kind of imploded on itself. The mayhem <laughs> that was happening and the, the students that were all involved, even though they were participating in the fighting, they were like not... In any way, about to put their hands on a staff person, you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. So, in your case, is that is it is that the same kind of thing, or is it just like they're are, are, they, are,
0: are they are they swinging at you, like you know what I mean? In general, when an incident goes on, whether it's one on one or ten on one or twenty on two, or a full blown riot, most of the time the inmates are going after each other for some reason. Uh, a lot of the rioting that play, takes place in the prison is between ethnic groups. You're obligated to join in. If you're a boy over there that's getting socked up, you're obligated in particular. If you're Mexican-American, you better go over there and, and get in that situation. Because if you don't get involved there, somebody's going to get you later for not responding to what's happening over there. Even in that situation over there has nothing to do with you. Right. It was a one-on-one over here. But if, if you don't take care of business, somebody's going to take care of you later. What
1: are the major um, uh, ethnic demographics? In, in the prison room? setting here yeah. in California,
0: the primary... This- Black, white, Mexican—is there something yeah, or white, other? What, what, white, yeah. black, Mexican, and other. They they determine other that could be Polynesian or that could be Asian. And I, I know outside outside, well, at least in in
1: my area, growing mm-hmm. up, blacks and Mexicans were always 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 fighting. Is that um, predominantly the the beef that you see, or is it pretty evenly dispersed? Like, what, what in, is I guess what is the predominant
0: clash that you see if there is one? It's a lot of the clashes take place between Mexican Americans and Black Americans. Uh, sometimes whites are fighting Mexicans. Sometimes blacks are fighting whites. Sometimes the Asians are fighting with the blacks. They usually side with the blacks. The Asians do. And it all depends on what is over. i just which group.
1: R- sorry, real quick. The way that you did that breakdown like seriously sounds like how I, when I went to school. What it was like. high school. Who was school. With who and then who and then the Asians siding with the blacks black. <laughs> Yeah. What yeah, the, that's like it's the called, strangest thing, it's called,
0: man. it's called inmate politics. Like, uh, I'll give you something simple. Uh, if you're a white guy, if you're a Mexican guy, you don't you don't allow a black person to sit on your bed. Like, if you got a lower bunk, you don't allow a black person to sit on your bed. You can have problems from your own people if you get seen doing that, if you're Mexican or white. Wow. So you can, like, be around them, but you just... You can, you certain, can converse, you can talk you know, certain with them. Certain things you can't do. Certain things you do. You. Gotcha. As a white, you don't share your food with a black. If you're Mexican, you don't share your food with black. Uh,
1: what happens when someone doesn't want to partake in this game? Like, doesn't want to be told who just they want to do their be, time why, and why. go. You're right, like they just like they're like, you know what? I don't have a problem with black people. They consider my bad. You know what I mean? Do, do people ever try to like take a stand like that? And yes, be
0: they yes, they do. Separate? Yes, they do. How does it work out for them? You have some whites who don't want to be told who they can talk to. You have some Mexicans who don't want to be told who they can talk to and interact with or hang out with you have some not so much with the blacks they're not told at least at level one and two you don't level three and four that's a higher custody situation and then there's Pelican Bay State Prison which is a whole another world not just maximum security but inmates at a house they are considered the worst of the worst the biggest threat within the prison system you come out of your cell one hour a day oof so you locked down twenty three. That's, that's that Denzel. Shoe program. Yeah, you're doing the shoe program there. Yeah. Shoe program. <laughs> Security housing unit <laughs> <laughs> shoe program.
2: Yeah, that's uh Man. Staying yeah. on that real quick, just okay. the, the racial demograph. Mm-hmm. Um I was reading some on that and I know that uh, a couple years ago the Supreme Court had this thing where they felt that uh that there couldn't be segregation by race any anymore in prison. But the state of California Objected and said, "Well, that's impossible."
0: Uh, the reason they say it's impossible, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing in other states, but in <laughs> California, uh, you bunk according to ethnicity. You bunk mm-hmm. a black with a black, a white with a white, a Mexican with a Mexican, an Asian with an Asian. They have taught, and we believe, at least in California. Again, I don't know how it works in other states. You can. There's less problems when you do that. This is a safety for the inmates yeah. as well as the staff. And inmates take it seriously. The guys coming down from level three that are transitioning down to level two.
1: They don't mess around. There's no mixing of bunks yeah,
0: level three and four. So when they come down to a level two, like where I worked, they'll come in the dorm and they get assigned a bed and they get there and find out it's somebody from another race. They'll come right to the office and say, hey, lock me up now. I'm not going back there. Just take, take me back to Chino, send me back to a higher custody where I was. Or he will purposely go back there and just start swinging on that person so that he can get locked up because mm. he's not going to bow down and right. bunk up with this guy because he's a different ethnicity. So they're willing to do that. On the China, rolling <laughs> on that gray goose. Like yeah. Snoop Dogg yeah. said. Exactly.
1: Are there ever any examples of people who attempt humility or graciousness? Like, or, or like, Is there any room for that? And if it does happen, how is that received by other inmates that aren't like that? Is that uh, is it, depends,
0: it depends on what race you are. If you're Mexican-American, you're going to catch some serious heat if you don't go with the program. Uh, there are some people who, I guess you'd say, refuse to go by that. But they're real low key about it. They're real low key about it. Sounds, gonna... smart. <laughs> that sounds smart. Yeah, yeah. If you want to, if, <laughs> if you want to last, if you want to come out shank free, too fresh or whatever, a Styrofoam yeah. cup that's been melted down into a weapon, which can be done. So you, they, but,
1: so there are examples that you've seen of this of what of people just like. 100.
0: refuse to bow down
1: yeah but in a way and not in a way of like they're that hard but in a way yeah, of like in a, they're, a, a they're gentleness saying, I don't, I don't, you know I mean?
0: I don't roll like that and depending on what ethnic group it is and depending on the attitude of whoever that shot caller is for that ethnic group right, that would determine whether or not they go hands off on the guy and just let him leave him alone but they'll let him know the situation goes down between the groups you're on your own so if they allow it it's like
1: we're it, like okay cool but you're isolating yourself there's, there's a price to pay yeah. got you um, I want to go back a little bit more to okay. uh, people who have your job and some of your coworkers. So, okay. how have you seen the job uh, change people? Uh, it, change people? And, it's and do a, they stick it's around? A
0: stressful, it's a stressful environment, just point blank. Yeah. It's a stressful environment. Uh, so, a lot of it has to do with how you approach the job, what your values are as an individual before you even came into corrections. If your values were wishy washy, you can come into that environment as a staff person, and your values would be established by the veterans that are already there. Mm. Whatever that is, yeah. you know, Jesus Christ is my savior. I've met other officers who are Christians as well, and they've come to me and told me, you know, Blair, I, I see how you, I see how you uh, operate with the inmates and stuff. Uh, I noticed that you don't, you don't cuss at him, man. You don't cuss at him. He says, I, I didn't even cuss until I became a correction officer, working in here with these knuckleheads. Mm. So they. They've been affected to that point where their right. vocabulary vocabularies changed as a result of the environment that they're working in. Right. Yeah, they'll call me. They'll call me names at times, so, but I know what my name is. And major staff. Well, both actually. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other topic there, as far as the tension and stress that staff cause with one another. Well, I
1: want I want to talk about that. Okay. I, I, I would I would like you All to talk right, we'll, about
0: we'll that. Right. We'll pivot right here. Yeah. At a co-worker, she's retired now. She was a correction officer, promoted to sergeant promoted to lieutenant, promoted to parole officer, and came back into the institution years later and promoted to what they call a correctional counselor one and two. So she was a career person. She told me this before I even applied. It's given if you become a correction officer, your biggest problems are not going to be with the inmates. Your biggest problems are going to be with coworkers. Mm,
1: tell me about and that. And
0: unfortunately, yeah. she was very, very right Mm. in her statement that she made those years ago. Uh-huh. How so? My biggest points of stress. Yeah, being in a riot, yeah, that was stressful and scary. I've been in a couple of them. Running up on a scene and someone's laying there dead in the shower because somebody cracked a guy's head. Many of them are very respectful. Not every inmate is like that. The majority of them will give you the respect. If you if you give respect, you'll get it in most cases. And a coworker that you work with, can cause you to have a stressed out life because of the way that they operate. Because there's some people that work in correctional settings in a jail setting who mistake that badge on their chest. I, I used to put it this way. I have authority over an inmate. I don't have power over an inmate. But there's staff that you work with who can make your job more difficult. If I come to work at 2 o'clock and the inmates are agitated, I can sense something's going on, don't know what it is. All right. Something could jump off on my shift from 2 to 10 as a result of something that that staff person did on their shift from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. They could have stirred up the pot, got all these agitated inmates, and I inherit that when I come on my shift. And now I got to deal with the problem. The, the, the door right. might come, up, the door might become unglued on my shift because of some madness that this officer before right. me did. Like what? Like the locker searches. We were required to do five locker searches on an eight-hour shift. You're looking for contraband, weapons, drugs, and so on. Stolen food from the cafeteria, and so on. You're looking for ink that's been stolen from the print shop to make tattoos. He may have torn up a bunch of personal drawings of an inmate that he doesn't like. Just like on a power trip. Yeah, and he and don't let it be uh say like a white officer tearing up a Mexican guy's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> something then, extra. You got, then, then you got then you got the then you got the races involved there. Right. Because <laughs> he jacked up this guy's locker. Now he's going home at two. I come on at two and I got problems in my dorm already, got an agitated dorm, it could easily turn over into a racial situation on my watch by something that this guy stirred up on his. Mm. And some some officers have corrupt minds as far as they believe that they are there to help the state punish the inmate for whatever crime he's in there for. In other words, they have this generalized view that all inmates are scum, all inmates are guilty, none of them can be trusted with even the smallest little thing, and I'm gonna. They they won't say this with their mouths. I'm gonna make this guy's life more miserable. Right. I'm gonna add something to his sentence. Or like you said, I'm here to punish. Basically. Yeah, I'm here to help punish you for whatever it is you did, you scumbag. Mm-hmm. You know. So they feel like they should do that and can do it, and they may look at you as a weak officer if you don't participate in the kind of right. the way they roll. If you don't roll like that, they will look at you as weak. You feel like you see you've seen a lot of that in your time, or do you? Sure, like I have. Sure, yeah. I have.
1: Stay tuned for Correcting Corrections Part 2 next week on Humans Are Interesting. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud at Podcast HAI. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Peace be the journey.